This morning we want to start, if you take your study outlines, we want to start with a story that's a pretty familiar story in Scripture. It's the story of the third time that Jesus appears to his disciples after the resurrection. And it happens on the Sea of Galilee, the disciples are out fishing and Jesus comes along, we don't know exactly when he arrives, but he builds a fire and he starts cooking some fish on the fire to to feed the disciples breakfast. may have been, by the way, the very last uh, miracle of Jesus on earth because the disciples hadn't been able to catch any fish all night, so we don't know where these fish came from. But anyway, he's fixing breakfast, and he tells the disciples, well, you know, you haven't been catching any fish, so, uh, you know, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. And they didn't recognize who Jesus was. It was the early dawn morning and probably hard to see and all of that sort of thing. But they cast their nets, and they, and they catch this huge amount of fish, and, and suddenly it dawns on them, that's Jesus up there. And, and so uh, Peter yells out, it's the Lord, and he jumps in the water and swims, and the rest of the disciples bring the boat up, pull it up on shore along with their nets. Now, this is the best I could do for a boat, so just go with me for this one, okay? <clears throat> but they get it up there, and they set the nets up and so forth, and then they go over And they're around the fire, warming themselves. It's been a cold night. And Jesus feeds them uh, breakfast. And then there's something happens, and I don't think we get all of the dialogue uh, given to us in Scripture, but but Jesus apparently says to Peter, Peter, come with me for a minute. I want to talk to you. And he takes him and he starts walking away. Now, we know that he's walking away or moving somewhere because John, who's writing this down, is the disciple who Jesus loved, and it, and it tells us in the story that the disciple who Jesus loved was following them. Well, you can't follow somebody if they aren't moving somewhere, so, so Jesus and Peter must have been moving, and I think they were moving back down towards the shore, and the boat, and the nets, and all of that. And when they get there, Jesus turns to Peter, and he says, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? You see, for Peter, he loved fishing. In fact, when Jesus first calls him, he calls him to be what? A fisher of men, because he knew that that would resonate with Peter. And here it is, after the resurrection, and Peter doesn't know exactly what to do. So what does he do? He goes back up to Galilee and does what he enjoys doing, what's normal for him, what's comfortable for him. He goes out and goes fishing. He loved doing that. And so Jesus comes along and says to him, asks him this question, and it's a tough question for Peter. Do you love me more than these? Peter says, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And then Jesus says something that I am sure absolutely through Peter. He says, feed my lambs. Peter says, wait, in his mind, say, wait a minute, I'm a fisherman. I don't feed lambs, I catch fish. What do you mean, feed my lambs? Jesus once again says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, you know I love you. Take care of my sheep. Take care of my sheep. I'm sure running through Peter's mind is, I'm not a shepherd. I don't know how to do that. I have no idea. I have no clue what it takes to be a shepherd. What do you mean, take care of my sheep? 
I'm a fisherman. That's what you asked me to do. That's what I want to do. You want me to take care of your sheep? Jesus says to him a third time, do you love me? And Peter is struggling with this. It's going through his mind, and he's got this battle going on. Because this is a whole different line of thinking for him. Finally, he says, Lord, you know all things. You know how important the net and the boat is to me. But you know that I love you. And he's willing to walk away. Now, I can't be too hard on Peter for having that kind of a struggle in his mind. Because I like things to be comfortable too. I like to do normal things. I like life to go smoothly. I think we all do. It's, we just aren't going around looking for things that are out of the, out of the normal, that take us out of our comfort zone, that, that stretch us. We don't normally go looking for that. So I can't be too hard on Peter. But in this story, there is an overarching principle for us. And the overarching principle is is that God often challenges us to go beyond our normal experiences or comfort zone to experience the best that he has for us. And if we are going to be generous, we pretty well have to accept that challenge. And there are three areas where I think, with respect to being generous, where God challenges us to go beyond the normal, beyond the comfort zone. The first area is that God challenges us to get out of debt. Romans chapter 13, verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding. Now, it's not a, de- it's not a sin to be in debt. But God wants us to get out of debt. He doesn't want us to hold on to debt. He doesn't want us to live there. He's got something far better for us. Why? Because in Proverbs we are told that the borrower is slave to the lender. In other words, if we're in debt, we're in bondage. And God doesn't want us living in bondage. He wants us living in his freedom. And so he wants us to be able to get out of debt. He wants us to work at that and move towards that and move towards that kind of freedom. And interestingly too, in Proverbs we are told that we should free ourselves like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. In other words, we need to really work at getting out of debt. Now Dave Ramsey in his Financial Peace University talks about this and about this, about this verse. By the way, we are going to be doing another session of Financial Peace University uh, right after Easter, and you can even register today back at the, uh, at the Resource Center, and the cost is $100, but if you go through all nine sessions, we'll give you that $100 back because we think it's such a, a, a valuable series for you to be able to go through. But in this Financial Peace University, he's talking about the importance of getting away from debt the way the gazelle runs from the hand of the hunter. And he's talking about it particularly in the context of college students and the fact that everybody's after them to get credit cards. Because if they get credit cards when they're in college, then they will think that being in debt is kind of a normal experience. I mean, we face that all the time. We go to the mall and 
The stores all want us to get their credit card. We go to the airport, and the airlines all want us to get the credit card, and so on and so forth. Why? Because they, they want us to think that debt is normal. And so D- Dave Ramsey is talking about this and talking about getting away from debt, getting out of debt. And he uses this illustration. Let's watch this together. Like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, a bird from the hand of the fowler. And I promise you, it's not very reverent, but I promise you I went, great, gazelles. What am I going to do with gazelles? Great little animal metaphor, talk about it in Sunday school. But, I mean, how are you going to talk to people about gazelles and death? This doesn't. That night, God answered my prayer. I was scanning the channels, and I hit the Discovery Channel. And there on the Discovery Channel, there was the gazelles. They were out there gazelling around. And what were they doing? Well, I said, well, you know, here it is. There's the gazelles. And you know the gazelles were not there by themselves, right? You know somebody else was around, right? Looking for lunch in all the right places. And gazelles, they have a cheetah detector right behind their ear. When they see a cheetah, they go like, "Uh uh-oh, cheetah, run! (laughs) Now, the Discovery Channel said that the, the cheetah is the fastest animal on dry land. We had to slow this down so I'd have time to talk. He goes from zero to 47 miles an hour in four leaps. Now, it's starting to come clear to me. Here's how you get out of debt. You deliver yourself like the gazelle from the hand of the hunter. The primary predator of the gazelle is the cheetah. Here's how you get out of debt. You run! You got a busted! You got Look, he picked out the college student, didn't he? Hey, hey, you want a free hat? Hey, I'll give you a t-shirt. Just sign up for this credit card. You want a pizza? Hey, come here, kid. You need to build up your FICO score. Come here, kid. That was how you get out of debt. You got to run, baby. You got to put it in gear. You got to go, 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 go. Kick it, baby. Kick it. God wants us to get out of debt. we got to run. And you know, that's very true personally, but I also believe that it's also true for us as a church. And that's why later this year we are going to launch a campaign to get out of debt. We want over the next several years to be able to eliminate the debt that we carry. Why? Because we want to be free to be able to pursue all of the ministry that God wants us to pursue. And when we carry a debt and we have to pay a mortgage... We can't always do some of the things that we would like to do. And it's the same personally. When we get out of debt, we have more freedom to be able to do and pursue the things that God has for us to do. So we got to run and get out of debt. The second area is that God challenges us to control our lifestyles. Now, we get bombarded with commercials all over the place. I don't know about you, I turn on TV and I try to mute the commercials, but I wish I could just kind of turn them off and the TV would automatically come back on when the commercials are over, you know. But we get these commercials over and over and over again and they want us to buy this, buy that, and all of the stuff that we should have. Well, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. There's nothing wrong with buying things. There's nothing wrong with owning, owning things that, that give us some comfort or pleasure. But the point is that God doesn't want us controlled by those things. J.B. Phillips in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, translates the verse this way. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. 
But let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. See, all of these things have the potential of squeezing us into a mold. And God doesn't want us in that mold. He wants to remold us so that we can discover his plan and move on to maturity. A few weeks ago, Tim Weatherton, a friend of mine, he's an usher, usually back at that door, uh, gave me a call one day, and he said, uh, Peter, a business associate of mine has, has given me a couple of tickets to a Ducks hockey game. Would you be interested in going? Well, this old Canadian, if his schedule will allow it, will always go to a hockey game. So, so I said, sure. And he said, he said, I think these are pretty good seats. And uh, so the day came, and we got together, and we were driving down, and this is the ticket. And they were very good seats. It was Suite 320A. This was a luxury suite at Center Ice. This is the way to watch a hockey game, let me tell you. I mean, you, you had to have this ticket just to get into the hallway, let alone the suite. And so we go in, and there's another couple there, and Tim introduces us and explains how we got the tickets. And there's about 12 seats there, and there's only this couple. And, and Tim says, well, where, where do we sit? And they said, well, anywhere. Uh, okay, so I started trying them out. I wanted to check out the view. Is it this seat? Is this one better? Is this one better? I kept going back and forth, and we checked this row and then that row and figured out what exactly was the best seat. I got so excited, I pulled out my my phone, and I took this picture. It's the picture of the Zamboni. Now, nobody takes a picture of a Zamboni, you know, but I do when I'm so excited that I'm in the luxury suite. And so we took, took this picture and texted it to some people that I thought needed to know where I was. <laughs> okay? Now, it was a good hockey game, but you know, I discovered that it would be very easy for me to become envious of the people that had those tickets all the time. And so as we were leaving the game, several times I thanked Tim for inviting me to be his guest that night, and I thank God for that fun time. Why? Because I wanted Thanksgiving to mold me. I wanted God to be able to mold me through Thanksgiving rather than to be molded through envy. Okay? Now, I know that there are many of you here, and you don't completely understand that illustration because hockey just doesn't compute with you, and I understand that. So let me give you one other illustration. When I was in high school, I was a terrible student. I struggled all through high school. Um, My grades were not very good, and my parents were concerned about that. But when I was in high school, I also was involved in the Christian club on our campus. And in a Bible quizzing program, we memorized entire books of the Bible each year. And then we would have quizzes on them and so forth. And in spite of the fact that I was struggling with the academics, my folks never once discouraged me with respect to learning God's Word and being involved in ministry. Now, they knew and and understood that education was important. But what was more important to them was that I would be molded by the Word of God. 
And that's what they wanted for me more than anything else. And so they never once discouraged me. And I would just say to parents and grandparents here today, yes, education is important. Don't give up on your kids if they're struggling with their education. Keep encouraging them. Keep working. But more than anything else, help them get into the Word of God and learn the Word of God. That's what you want to have mold their lives. That's what you want them to grow up and, and have it so much inside of them that it just comes out naturally, that it's part and parcel of who they are. So always opt for encouraging your kids in that direction. Whatever else you might encourage them in, encourage them to know and learn the Word of God. It will give to them a lifestyle that will be worthy of the name of Christ. Third thing, God challenges us to give a tithe. Now, a tithe is 10%. You know what's normal these days? Uh, in the area of giving, it is normal to give 2 to 3%. That's kind of the national average. That's normal. And even within the church, it's in that neighborhood. And, but God says, give a tithe. And we think, well, Why? Why should we give it? I mean, why does God need 10% of our money? Because after all, He's God. He owns everything. So if, you know, he, he can do whatever and just produce it, you know. But there's a reason. There are many reasons. Here's one of my favorite ones it's found in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave. See, God, out of his love, gives. God is a giver. And if we want to learn more about the nature and the character of God, one of the things for us to do is to give. General Stanley McChrystal, who was uh, a commander for uh, a time in Afghanistan, wrote his autobiography called My Share of the Task. And in it, he makes this statement. During the years my father was in Vietnam, my mother struggled to make Christmases special. I could only guess how my father felt until I got a taste as a young captain in Korea during my first year-long separation from my wife Annie. In other words, when he began to have the same experiences as his father, he began to get just a taste of what his father had felt many, many years before. And if we want to get just a taste, and that's all it is because there can be no comparison between God giving his son to die for us and, and our giving of a tithe. There can't be any comparison, but if we want to get just a little taste of the nature of God and the fact that he's a giver, we give as well. So, he wants us to give. Now, we, we have questions, right? Do we give on the, on the gross or the net, or do we, do we include capital gains? And what if my money isn't being used wisely? And what do we, you know, and we come up with all of these questions. You know what? I don't think God even cares about a lot of those questions. In fact, I think in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, he says this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Don't ask all of these questions. Just test me. 
Check it out. See if it works. You got questions? I don't care about the questions. Just test me in this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, as Pastor Glenn mentioned, over the years, Jure and I have tithed and more, but we were raised in families that tithe. So when we got married, it was just the natural, normal thing for us to do, to continue that on. And as we did that, we discovered that even in the tough times, we wanted to do that. And we had a few years that I call our peanut butter sandwich years. You know, they were the years where, boy, we, it was tough to make things work. I was out of work a couple of times and trying to do anything legally that I could do to put food on the table and pay the mortgage and so forth. And, and yet, through all of that, God blessed us. And here, in my mid-60s, I have to say, God was completely true to his promise. 100% true to his promise. And we have been blessed, not just financially, that's the least of it. But we've been blessed spiritually and with family and with a job and so many areas that God has blessed us. And what has been true in our lives will be true in your life as well. But it may take doing something that's a little bit out of the comfort zone in terms of our giving. But he will bless you. Now, these three areas, and getting out of the comfort zone in terms of our debt and our lifestyle and giving, it's all well and good, but the question is, how do you do that? Well, let me give you three steps that, that I think were true in the life of Peter that will be helpful. First step is that we pray. In Acts chapter 1, Peter brings together the disciples and a number of other people. There were probably 25, 30 people or even more that came together and they were praying constantly. They joined together in prayer. And that prayer is what launched the church in the book of Acts. A number of years ago when I was starting the, the Reach for Life program globally, I was having lunch one day, Jure and I were, with Rick and Mary Todd, who are now up at the hangar. And I was explaining Reach for Life, and, and Mary said, uh, Peter, that program needs to have a prayer team supporting it. You need, a, you need to develop a prayer team. And I sat there and I thought, oh, I don't have enough time to develop a prayer team. Well, you know, why why'd you say that, Mary? Now, I couldn't say that to her because you just can't say that prayer isn't a good idea, you know. I mean, that's not a very good thing to say. But that's what was going on in my mind. That I have to admit it. A few days later, Mary came up to me and said, Peter, God has been speaking to me, and I'm the one to start the prayer team for you. We ended up with a prayer team, well over 100 people all over the globe on an email prayer team. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And that five to six million people that have been impacted by Reach for Life are a result of prayer. 
It's not a result of what I've done. It's not a result of what anybody else has done in the program. It's a result of prayer. And any time God calls us to do something that's a little bit out of the normal, that takes us a little bit out of our comfort zone, that stretches us a little bit, any time God asks us to do that, we've got to start with prayer. Second principle is prepare. You got to prepare. Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching the sermon on the day of Pentecost. And if you read through that sermon and remember that Peter was this fisherman who always shot from the hip and who was always saying those kind of things that are out on the edge, and you read through that sermon and you realize that Peter had studied and had prepared because he talks about David and he talks about the prophets and, and he has this very well put together. He even uses the term or Acts uses the term that Peter says, let me explain this to you, which suggests that he had done his preparation. He had figured out what it was that he wanted to say and how he wanted to say it. And when it comes to doing things for God that are a little bit of a stretch for us, we need to prepare. That's one of the reasons that fields of gold and treasure principle are, are important for us. It's one of the reasons why Financial Peace University is good for us because those are ways that we can prepare. We also have people that have been trained by Dave Ramsey to be financial coaches. And, you know, having them help is a way to be able to prepare. But we have to be able to to do those things to prepare if God is going to take us and do something out of the ordinary with us. Now, You put all of those things of preparation together and there's one thing that's even more important than that. And that is to get into the Word of God. The Word of God will give us the best preparation of anything if we are going to do something out of the ordinary for God. The third thing that he asks of us, or the third step rather of of, uh, doing these things after preparation is practice. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going down to the temple. And the language that's used indicates that this was something that they were in a habit of doing. They were doing this on a regular basis. They were just living out their life. And as they were living out their life, walking down to the temple, one day they find this, this man who's lame, and they are able to heal him. They were able to take care of the sheep. And it was just in the course, the normal course of life. And these three areas, the area of debt and the area of lifestyle and, and uh, the, the area of giving, we need to live out. We just need to practice them. And if we do, if we just live them out on a regular, regular basis, God will begin to work through us. You know, most of us are not going to pay off our debts because God drops some kind of a bundle of money out of heaven and suddenly, oh boy, I can pay off all of my debts. Now it takes work and it takes time. It takes regular ongoing living. Even in the area of giving, we need to practice it. And if that's tough for you to do, do what my wife and I do. Do it online. It makes the practice of it easy and regular. But we need to do these things regularly. And as we practice, God will give us new and unusual opportunities that will stretch us and will take us into new areas. Now let me finish with 
with one story. Early on in the days of developing Reach for Life, I got an invitation to go to Guyana. And I was invited to go down and present Reach for Life books in a camp down there, and then to train youth workers from all across the country on how to develop this program in that country. Um, the camp was in July, so that's when I was going to do. Let me give you a little travel tip. If you get an invitation to go to Guyana or any other tropical country in the middle of July, think twice, okay? Not always the best time to be there. But anyway, that's when the camp was, so I didn't have a lot of choice. So I get going, and I'm carrying books with me, and I get down there, and it's late at night, and I come out of the airport, and I meet uh, a gentleman named Dexter Daly. I had never met Dexter before, but he was going to take me into Georgetown. It was about a 40, 45-minute drive from the airport to the capital and, and to the hotel. And so we're driving along, and pretty soon Dexter says to me, um, Peter, what, what hotel is it that you're staying at again? And I said, it's the Tower Hotel. And he said, oh. Now let me give you travel tip number two. When your local host responds to the name of your hotel by saying, oh, you probably do not have a five-star hotel. And I said to him, I said, is, is that okay? And he paused and he said, well, I guess so. <laughs> Travel tip number three. Anyway, we, we, get, we get to the hotel, and I walk up the steps past these men that are loitering on the steps, and, and I get to the hotel, and I, and I walk in and register and go to find my room down dark hallways, and it was a strange kind of experience. I get to my room, and it actually is kind of a nice room, except that there's a factory next door that's running all night and rattling the windows, okay? And, and then there were the bugs on the floor, and then there was the dirty water. I mean, it was not exactly, there's, there's the dirty water. Not exactly, it wasn't a five-star. It was, it was maybe a minus two or three. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I got up the next morning. I checked out of the hotel. Didn't know where I was going to stay the next night, but I wasn't going to stay there. So I get out of the hotel, and Dexter comes back to pick me up to take me to the camp. And he takes me part way, passes me to another young man who's going to take me, and we... We drive, and eventually the cars stop, and then I have to walk about half an hour in 100-degree heat, 110% humidity, carrying these Reach for Life books to go to the camp. Now, the camp is up the Essequibo River, so we've got to take a boat up the Essequibo, Essequibo River. So we get to the dock, and you can see the boat there. It's got four benches in it, and there's four people across. And so I get in, and I put my life jacket on, and I hold my books, and we start off up the river. It was about an hour boat ride. You can see how big the Essequibo River is. And it was rough that day. 
And we bounced. We bounced all the way up. I must have lost five pounds in half an hour just going up the Essequibo River. Because, but we got there. We, we got up, and, and all of a sudden, they turn and go into the shore. And, and the, the young man that I'm with, he turns around, and he motions that I'm to come. So I get the books, and I walk along the edge of the boat, and I jump onto the shore. And I look up, and there are some buildings up there. And I thought, oh, we're at the camp. Wrong. Another half hour walk through the jungle. And we get to the camp. That afternoon, I was able to present the books. There were only about 30 campers there. But I asked them, how many of you know someone who either has HIV AIDS or who has died from AIDS? And all but two raised their hand. I knew why I was there. But there's more reason why I was there that I didn't know that day. And I'll tell you about it in a minute. We, we went back the next day. It was torrential rains, and we did our training. And then the next day I flew back. And, and this had been, without question, one of the most difficult, uncomfortable trips that I'd ever done. And we got stuck in Trinidad for three hours on the tarmac, sitting in an airplane with no air conditioning. And I got to the hotel in Miami, and I went in, I sat down, and I literally cried because it had been such a difficult, tough trip. But not only was I there for those young people, but you see, Dexter Daly moved from Guyana to Trinidad. And we were able to start the program in Trinidad. And last summer, our young people went to Trinidad on a trip. And out of that trip, they did some filming that is the, the basis for a curriculum that is being used to raise money for Reach for Life. And the plan is, the proposal is from an organization to send another million books to Africa. Now, I didn't know all of that when I was walking through that jungle had no idea. But the whole point of the story is simply this, that when God has something that's out of the ordinary, when God has something that goes beyond our normal experience or our comfort zone, He has a plan. And if we are willing to do that and to go there, we will be amazed at what He will do through us. Whether it's in the area of getting rid of our debt, whether it's in the area of lifestyle or giving, if we will allow God to take us out of that comfort zone, He will do some amazing things for us. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that you have in mind for each one of us in this room some things that we haven't thought about that are beyond our comprehension at this point if we are willing to be obedient when you say to us, do you really love me? So Father, help us to be willing to step outside of the normal, outside of our comfort zone, so that we can do the things that you have for us to do and so that you can work in us and through us to accomplish your plan rather than ours. And we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here. I trust that you'll have a wonderful day. Remember that there are books and Financial Peace University registration out at the Resource Center. Thanks very much. God bless you.